And we believe that AI tools and generative AI will help them move the needle forward in exciting new ways that we may not even be able to predict right now. It's this intersection we're witnessing between messaging platforms, large language models, and new generative AI-powered tools that will be ultimately transformative. That's Andrea Gellert, Global Vice President of Business and Product Marketing at Meta, our sponsor on this episode of the Digiday Podcast. Later in the show, Custom talks with Andrea about generative AI, the new features the company is rolling out, the responsibility required with the technology, and the thought process behind the latest developments. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kamiko McCoy, Senior Marketing Reporter. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. Happy, happy day, Kaylee. We have started Black Friday so early this year. I feel like it's so different from when I was a kid. Have you started Black Friday shopping? Uh, I've blown my entire Black Friday budget. And for the for our listeners, just so you know, we're recording this on Friday, November 17th. So it has not even been Thanksgiving. We haven't even crossed into the Black Friday, like actual week, Cyber Monday, nothing. Like, but the deals start, yeah, so early. Like, I want to say like a couple of them started like at least last week. They've been in yeah. fact for like over a week. If I'm not mistaken, and I'm going to get to the blowing the budget, but if I'm not mistaken, I think Home Depot, I went to go check out some dishwashers there for Black Friday. I think they said that they had actually started their Black Friday sales the first week of November. Oh my gosh. Because I know like- It's not Black Friday at this point. It's Black Month. It's Yeah. Black- <laughs> literally. It has become a shopping month. Like all, but it even began in October. Like I know last year I had written about like- um, publishers with commerce operations and how they basically have to start their holiday lead up coverage in October because of all of those like the second Amazon Prime event of the year. Uh, Wayfair jumped on that bandwagon. It's like all of those like membership kind of deals that are like not Mm -hmm. tied to Black Friday, but they basically are holiday oriented. And it's like Target, Walmart. So kind of kicks off in October, but November, it's like full-on Black Friday branding as of November 1st. And it's, I guess, good, but then I just end up, well, I spend way too much. I don't have any control over myself during that period. If there's a deal of 30% or more, I probably will jump on it. Can I ask what you've gotten so far or these gifts for other people? Uh, Well, I so badly wish I could say they're gifts for other people, but... (laughs) They're not. They're things that I, so I recently moved a couple months ago and I'm still trying to buy like decor to make my space a little bit more homey. And so it's been kind of like some wall tapestries, picture frames, things like that. I have a really bad habit for buying clothing. It's not quite shopaholic level, but it's, I like to refresh my wardrobe. So like Madewell started their (laughs) Black Friday sale at like 30%, but then I saw they increased it to 40%. So like there's things in my cart um, for them. So it's just, yeah, I I guess like a couple gifts. Like I got my sister something during like the Sephora sale, right? But this is is a very raw, real look at my, (laughs) my budgeting habits and yeah. 
It's that's what it is. How about you you for having a budget, man? Good for you for having a budget. I actually just spend all my money um, during the holiday season. And then I spend January furiously planning a new budget and a new life and (laughs) new resolutions to be better. It's a vicious cycle. And we preed it all over again. This week, um, you talked to the folks over at SiriusXM Media, which is very exciting. Podcasts, as you've been reporting along with your team, have really, really gotten a bigger chunk of media spend and also improved how advertising kind of happens on their platform. So tell me about your conversation with Lizzie Woodhelm, SVP and Head of Ad Ambition and B2B Marketing at Sirius. Yeah. So I wanted to chat with Lizzie because we had connected at Advertising Week uh, back in October, I want to say, in New York. And and we had had a conversation around audience um, and really how advertisers are targeting podcast audiences. And I think the last I was, because our colleague Sarah Guaglioni really covers a lot of uh, the podcasting space. So I've been obviously participating in podcasts on this channel, but uh, the like larger business side of it, I've only really caught up with through her reporting. So last I knew, there was really a focus on like DTC brands advertising around podcasts. There was a lot of focus on host read ads and programmatic was coming into the mix, but hadn't really like found its, you know, fit yet. Um, But what's interesting about SiriusXM is like they also have their satellite radio. They have their, you know, subscription product. I'm sure people listen to it in their, you know, fancy cars, comes like pre-built basically. I know my parents' cars has it. So that's how I've been familiar with it. They've also acquired Pandora. So Pandora's in the mix too. So they have all these different audio assets. And what they've been doing is trying to They've been trying to automate the advertising sales operation across all of their audio offerings. And so Lizzie's been trying to tell advertisers who are used to advertising with Sirius Radio, um, you know, come to podcasts. Like this audience also fits with who you're looking for. So we talked a lot about audience targeting, especially programmatic selling and dynamic ad placements, which I think is just a way to make podcast advertising more efficient and more effective because when you have host read ads, those lead times could take a long time. There's only a certain number of ads that hosts will read um, before it feels like disingenuous. So it's really about finding the right formula. And Lizzie mentions kind of tinkering with that, but she did say that in the two years that they've been doing programmatic ad placements for audio, for podcasts specifically, that revenue has increased 90% year over year from year one to year two. So like this year, that revenue stream has grown quite a bit. So anyway, it was just a very interesting kind of like look at the holistic podcast advertising ecosystem. And she has a lot to say. We do get into AI a little bit with that, but Primarily, it's when talking about audience. I, I know. <laughs> it's like, you know, drink when AI is mentioned on this podcast because it's at least once an episode. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. But it was it was an interesting chat. Well, I'm excited to get to it. And with no further ado, here's a conversation with Lizzie. Well, Lizzie, thank you so much for joining me on the Digiday podcast. Um, this is a very exciting episode because we are recording in an actual podcast studio. As I'm sure all of the listeners of the Digiday podcast the past three years are well aware, um, all of our recordings have been done over Zoom, very few in person. So this is a very exciting moment because we are in the SiriusXM podcast studios. It is very professional. I have these insane headphones on. I'm talking into a legit mic. This is very cool experience. Thank you for having me in your offices today. 
Absolutely. You're you're a pro now. This I know. Is, this is this is what you deserve. This is what I, f- I feel like the term podcaster actually makes sense now. And you know we're recording literally next door to Vibe Check right now? Yes, I passed that on the way in. Um, their recording sounded very fun. Um, so they are so we can, fun. Hopefully we can maintain the same level of energy here. Let's do it. Um, but this is, again, like a little bit of a meta podcast because we're talking about podcast um, ads, audio, all of that as well as, like, recording an actual podcast. So it's always a fun topic to to bring up while um, recording for the DJ podcast. But we had um, just spoken, was that, like, a month ago now at Advertising Week? So we touched on a few different topics that I wanted to, like, reprise here today. Um, but also I went to a press event for Sirius uh, SXM, like, about the kind of rebrand, bringing back the dog mascot, uh, but also, like, really focusing on bringing in a younger audience. So I definitely want to touch on, you know, all of those kind of, like, you know, audience demographic goals and things like that and how it ties into advertising as well. Um, So all that to say, I guess, like, getting into the conversation, it'd be great to maybe set the stage of the state of podcast ad revenue from this past year, because obviously advertising revenue on the whole has been a little bit of a tumultuous uh, place to be. It's, I think, a lot of digital publishers would say they've been um, struggling to kind of get to their goals for this year. Um, but I'm curious how podcast advertising for you guys as a, you know, a very large network, how it's been netting out for 2023. Yeah. And I think it's good to take a step back too first, if you don't mind. So I've been in the audio space for 18 years. I started at Pandora as the very first hire. So some people know that about me, but I think it's important to know that if you're going to listen to the rest of this show and care what I have to say. And um, at Pandora, we defined what it was to offer digital audio, to monetize digital audio, and specifically personalized radio. So all of the work we did at Pandora has led us to where we are today. A, as a part of SiriusXM, we were acquired, as was Stitcher. So we have this great family of brands that all came from a place of loving audio, like really feeling that it's the best content medium out there. It's the most personal and rewarding and effortless get-it-anytime-anywhere medium. And then for advertising, you know, there's just so much opportunity. And I know we'll touch on topics like AI and performance and, like, what matters for advertisers. But that's all we've ever done on the Pandora side. And so two years ago, we really embarked on this journey of, okay, where is the listener going? And podcasting wasn't new two years ago, of course. But from a scaled standpoint, it really had a moment. Right. We think about everything during COVID and how technology really improved to the point where, look, you're a podcaster. Would you have been a podcaster six years ago? You know, or would you just be writing your content and giving, um, you know, a voice to your stories in that way? And so all of that happening at once really had us saying, A, we want to chase the customer and the listener where they're going. So we stood up the largest podcast network in the United States through our owned and operated assets, but also partnerships like we have with Ashley Flowers and her Audio Chuck brand, like we have with Conan O'Brien and his Team Coco brand. Um And then we took all that best-in-class audio ad serving technology. How are we going to do programmatic and podcasting? How are we going to do dynamic ad insertion? You know, all the things that really drive a marketplace. Because it's kind of fun to sell a sponsorship here and there, but that doesn't scale. And so where we are at today is that we have seen this year over last year, we've already exceeded our goal in podcasting. Like we're doing more revenue now 
dramatically more than last year. We have almost a 90% increase in programmatic revenue specific to podcasting, um, diversification of brands, really bringing all those brand advertisers that really weren't so present in podcasting two years ago into the space. Um, So it's exciting to be where we are at today, but there's still road to go. And it didn't happen if we weren't already experts in this space. Yeah. And I think that's something that um, we had touched on a little bit in our conversation a couple weeks ago now with, um, you know, the incorporation of programmatic selling capabilities, but then also like bringing in brand marketers, because I think for the longest time and during that kind of renaissance of, of podcasting that happened like in, you know, around the pandemic time, maybe a little bit earlier, it was very much like D2C brands, like here's a, you know, exclusive coupon code or, um, you know, very focused on leading to a transaction. Um, But you had mentioned that that's not really like the dominant kind of partner now, like a lot of brand partners are coming in, a different kind of cohort of advertisers. What is the, like, categorical scope or, you know, advertiser portfolio that you kind of touch on now. It seems like it's a lot broader. It's definitely broader. I mean, there's not an advertiser that we work with in the enterprise level, in the sort of mid-market level, or even in the small business space that isn't asking, should I be in podcasting? Like, you know, I know everyone's listening. I I know that it's um, a real incremental opportunity for me to reach audience. And we've done a lot of work to make sure our advertisers understand if you're buying streaming and you're buying our live content via the satellite, you're still missing out on a huge incremental audience. In fact, many of the studies that we did in the initial year of us in this space was to try to prove that out so we could go to advertisers and say, hey, we know it's new. We know you might not know how to measure it. We know we don't have your sort of acoustic or sonic brand figured out in a spoken word space, which we should talk about that a little bit. But there's 45% incrementality on average in this medium. So you need to be there. So we got everyone there last year, which drove the diversification of brands. So it's everyone from CPG to retail to automotive. I mean, all the popular brands. Um, And I'd say that... There's now more competition for the best shows, for the exclusive products. And if there's, um, you know, kind of a sentiment in the market right now with advertisers is that the legacy DTC brands are having to work further ahead to reserve the inventory, to reserve the host, to reserve the placements that they want because the competition from the brand marketplace is very much happening. Got it. That was actually one of my other questions is like what the kind of lead time looks like for advertising in a podcast space, because especially for the ones you mentioned, like those kind of like big celebrity kind of, you know, mega popular shows. um, I imagine that you have to balance the number of ads like you can't just like have, you know, 50 ads in one episode. That's not like, you know, people are going to get upset by that. But because there's also the programmatic selling component, like that like dynamically placing ads in like that seems a little bit like of a, a faster kind of turnkey solution. But so like programmatic, typically, when I think about it in a digital publishing sense is like in quarter, we have budget to spend, like we're going to execute it, you know, in the next two days. Podcast calendars, that definitely factors in. So what's the kind of like lead time for thinking about campaigns for getting brands signed on? And like, how early on do you have to sign a deal before, you know, a campaign rolls out? Yeah, well, it's it's like a couple things. Some of that's a bit layered. So first and foremost, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier. 
having really strong ad technology in order to have very strong data signals to support organizing your supply to optimize for all different transaction types is foundational. So we need to understand just what you said. When is a show recording? When is it publishing? How long is the show? How many ad breaks are in the show? How many ads per break? Is there an exclusive baked into the show? Does that host have alignment with an exclusive brand in the finance space that precludes other finance ads from rotating in? I could go on and on and right. on with all of the signals that we must capture at the point of publishing and ingest into the ad server in order to do this right. This is a lot of the plumbing that people don't want to think about or talk about, and we all just want to show the end result. But this is what we do, and we're really proud of how good at it we are. Now, do we have growth ahead? Absolutely. So you bring up, how long does it take? It still takes too long, if I'm being honest. Um, for an advertiser to leverage an announcer read creative, where it's not the host, and buy against an audience and run across multiple shows, we can do that very effortlessly and quickly. Mm -hmm. As the advertiser moves closer to alignment with a specific host, a specific show, a specific day, a specific brand, a specific message, um, it does take a little bit more coordination, and we've stood up a really strong revenue partnerships team that helps us interface with the hosts and their um, teams because all of them do have teams to understand, you know, how can an advertiser best fit there. But, you know, I think that's okay. Branded entertainment, which is what that is, has long been um, the type of sales process that is special and curated just for an advertiser. And there's... Um, Definitely an understanding from our partners in that to be very integrated in the most authentic way within a show, it does take time, and they're along for that process. Do I think we can speed it up with, you know, tools, um, new processes for creators? Absolutely, and we're hard at work on that. Um, but I'll say there's a timeline that suits everyone's needs, and if you need to move fast— we can move in under 24 hours to get an ad up within the podcasting space. So just depends on, I don't know, what's the word? Tolerance? Yeah. Your tolerance for timeline. And that's great because, you know, you have an advertiser that wants to reach, you know, 40 million podcast listeners over the weekend to open a movie. We can do that. Mm -hmm. You have an advertiser that wants very specific alignment with Conan and they want Conan voicing their ads and being funny and doing all the thing, things Conan does. We can do that too. Right. And then the latter one would take what, like, couple weeks, couple months. Yeah, I mean, it often, you know, it depends on the scope. I'd say where we get hung up the most is on ideation and creativity. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the amazing thing about podcasting is it's the most authentic connection you can have to someone that you are a fan of, period. And they want that to stay true. They really want their show to be written, to be performed for their audience. And I think advertisers sometimes can understand that and come along because usually they're listeners and they totally get it. Um, but if we have, you know, an advertiser or someone within an agency that's partnering that maybe doesn't understand the host as much, as much um, sometimes it's just a long, longer education. And that's less on our side in terms of delivering a transaction and more just on, you know, the partnership development. Right. Yeah. And so for, I think, host-read ads specifically, because that was like the end-all be-all, like, you know, I probably still is like the most like coveted type of ad. It's, you know, to your point, how, you know, I guess the listener connects 
to the product the most if it's coming from the person that they're tuning in to listen to, like, intentionally, right? Yeah, so, audio influencing is alive and well, and it's called podcasting host-read ads. <laughs> yeah. Right, and so, like, rigidity of having a host-read ad be scripted versus allowing personality to flow through. What's the development like practice? Been? Yeah, has yeah. there been any changes to how that goes? Because I, I do understand, like, you know, an advertiser wants to make sure, like, certain points are met. Right. Yeah. But also like the personality of someone like Nicole Byer is like super like over the top, like, you know, very like. Yeah. You got to give it to God. You got to let go. You you want to make her shine. Right. You want to let her have some like freedom with it. Like what I guess is. Yeah. Best practice for. Well, I think, you know, it starts with um, one of the parts in the process I've been advocating for for a very long time. And that's the audio creative brief. And that's not copy. And that's not a specific script. That's what is your product? Why do people use it? Who does it solve for? What words or sounds associate with your product? Um, You know, what are the people that use your product saying about it? And so we've worked hard with a lot of brands when we're onboarding them sort of into the host read like best practices world is to force them to think about that because the ability for us to then hand that off to a host and uh, let them riff and build some spec copy to get the customer happy. Because look, the hosts want to make money too. They are in this business to help sell product. What's good for the advertiser is good for the host and good for the listener if we can get all aligned, right? Right. So first and foremost, it's really working hard to land that brief. Um, And it can be written in many formats. It can be you know, doesn't need to be super tight. It can have some spec copy in it, but verbatims do not really work. Now, that said, there are certain advertisers, certain verticals that have compliance requirements. And of course, we um, note that to our creators where we absolutely need a verbatim here for obvious reasons. And you'll hear those ads. And it is always funny to me to like, we'll go on Nicole or Conan to like hear them read the verbatims because you know they're doing it in a way that we all know they're having to read it so that the authenticity is like, you use the word meta when we started, but it's like it's got this like third camera yeah. or fourth camera. I can't remember what they say in TV kind of moment where it's like, oh, we all know they're reading now. Yeah. Like it lets them off the hook in a way. Yeah. And so I think that from a style standpoint, creators that are very clear about like when they're riffing and when they're reading verbatims, um, make like the listeners get it. They're cool with that. And so kind of switching gears away from host read to more of the like programmatic, dynamically placed kind of, you know, um, announcer read type that has been like a, a newer transition over the past, like what, like couple of years? Well, like when would you say like programmatic was fully kind of implemented as an ad type? Well, I would say over the course of the last two years, it started with first saying, what is the currency? Is it downloads? Is it impressions? Well, if it's going to be impressions, we need to dynamically insert the creative for a number of reasons, to be able to count properly, to be able to start and stop creative, to be able to swap creative for uh, the most timely message. If you're going to have an advertiser sitting in a show that maybe has a lot of back catalog listening, and when I say back catalog, I just mean like after the first 30 days or, you know, after it's been five weeks since the show is out. Um, And so... We worked really hard, I'd say, two years ago to just establish all of that. And then, yeah, you're right. It's really been on that timeline to say, okay, at the moment of publishing, how does our ad server now work to take the ad breaks? And this is actually how it works. Like a producer puts in ad breaks, and then the ad server inserts the ads. And then just like any digital ad server, 
it's, you know, swapping and starting and stopping. And so that was like baseline just to get sort of the ability to run programmatic. And then from there, you plug into the DSPs and whether it's the trade desk or anyone else, you know, with a stack out there, we're now transacting. What I would say is the place where there's still innovation to come is on the future of just all the audience segmentation work. So we have onboarded partnerships with Comscore and others. Of course, we have strong first-party data, but we're a distributed strategy. So I don't know if everybody knows that, but you know, Spotify now is taking that page out of that book too, where they're putting many of their podcasts out wherever you want to listen. And so, um, you know, just getting the future of like how can you not just buy programmatically into a group of shows or into a single show, but I want to buy moms across the country. And I want to have this more layered, more like specific to streaming playbook in podcasting. Um, and we're well on our way there. I mean, we do, um, like I said, we've done almost 100% increase in programmatic revenue specific to podcasting that we announced on our last earnings call. So it's it's going. And the awesome part about that is programmatic buyers measure like crazy. So they wouldn't be increasing their spend if there wasn't so much value in this space in terms of return on ad spend. Got it. Is programmatic like the lion's share then of overall ad revenue or how does it kind of measure up? It's obviously had a lot of growth in the past yeah, year. No, it's, a, it's a mix for us. Um, like I said, it's growing. I don't um, I don't have the exact number maybe on distribution here, but I'd say it's a primary focus for us to take all of our programmatic streaming buyers and bring them into the podcast space. We obviously have a very strong business in the streaming space and have been transacting at scale programmatically for almost a decade or more. Um, But as you were talking about earlier, there's so many creative formats that just won't transact programmatically. Um, And so we're focused there too. I mean, we love the events business. We love the hostry business. We love the sponsored segment business. There's so much to happen and again like that branded entertainment space that we're we're balancing both. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, then we'll be right back. I'm Christina Ko, senior editor at Custom, Digiday Media's in-house agency. In this podcast interstitial story sponsored by Meta, we speak with Andrea Gellert, the company's global vice president of business and product marketing, about generative AI, the new features the company is rolling out, the responsibility required with the technology, and the thought process behind the latest developments. AI is just fundamental to every aspect of our business, and it's been an integral part in Meta's DNA easily since the launch of Feed in 2006. Uh, What's really exciting is that the recent advances in Gen AI will unlock so many new opportunities for business of all sizes. Uh, AI, and specifically Gen AI, will help make ads more performant, allow for personalization at scale, so they reach the customers they need to, to grow. So for example, with Advantage Plus shopping campaigns, instead of an advertiser manually setting up many different campaigns, which can take an enormous amount of effort, and and also, you know, you might be guessing some of the time, uh, instead of doing that, they set up one single campaign and we automatically test hundreds of different combinations to optimize for the highest performing ones. Not only does AI make it easier to test and run multiple variations of a campaign, but it continues to optimize for whatever's performing best and is evolving to make creating social media specific ads even easier and more effective. The three new features we've launched are image expansion, background generation, and text variation. And image expansion allows you to seamlessly adjust creative assets to fit different aspect ratios across multiple ad surfaces like feed or reels. 
And this allows businesses the freedom to spend less time and resources on repurposing assets and much more time on critical work. Meta's background generation tool helps teams craft multiple backgrounds that complement their product images while also tailoring them for different audiences. So for example, if a business wants to test out the way their product looks on a beach versus a snowy mountain versus an urban setting, this feature allows them to do so. The text variation tool is similar in that it creates multiple versions of an ad's text based on the original copy. This means multiple opportunities to better connect with audiences. While it's common for teams to focus on the visual aspects of creatives, the copy is crucial too. It can offer personality and draw consumers in. And what we've heard from businesses who have conducted early testing of these meta features is that half of them estimate that generative AI will save them five or more hours a week, which is the equivalent of one month a year. And I don't know about you, but I could sure use a month's worth of time back in my schedule. While the time-saving factor of AI is huge for marketers, some are still wary of engaging with the technology heavily without knowing more about the guardrails being put in place. Luckily, there are solutions out there being created responsibly. You know, building new technology always comes with the responsibility to develop best practices and policies. And while there are many exciting and creative uses for generative AI, it won't always be perfect. So what we're doing is we're building safeguards into our AI features and models before we launch them. Like, for example, we have notices that help people understand the limits of generative AI and integrity classifiers that help us catch and remove dangerous responses. And in keeping with our overall commitment to responsible AI, we also stress test our products to improve safety performance. And we believe that AI tools and generative AI will help them move the needle forward in like exciting new ways that we may not even be able to predict right now. You've been listening to Andrea Gellert, Global Vice President of Business and Product Marketing at Meta, our sponsor on this episode. And now back to the Digiday podcast. Getting into like identifying demographics, like, you know, moms, for example, I think that was the group you had kind of identified. Like, is it a lot of contextual based on the shows that they're listening to obviously i'm sure like you know there's some great contextual insights that you can get from you know the host themselves or like the genre of podcast but like how do you go about targeting like you mentioned you're still kind of working through that yeah so we're going after it a number of different ways we have um the ability, of course, to take every single transcript and understand what is each show about, what is the content in the show, what is the context of the show, and create segments that way. We also have a partnership, like I mentioned, with Comscore, where we are doing user matching to understand just who are you from an identity standpoint. Um, and then, you know, I'd say at the show level, bundling is very popular. So to pull together three multicultural networks that maybe on their own aren't, you know, going to give an advertiser the reach they want, but pulling them together into a package that says, hey, there's a really strong multicultural audience here. Um, so it's it's different. It's three ways. I'd say advertisers either approach us with, I want contextual alignment to this very specific subject, sports, NFL or something, right? Or I want men 18 to 34, or I really love this Tom Brady show. And I also kind of like this, you know, other show that talks about sports but isn't necessarily always sports because it's lifestyle, can we, like, bundle up this kind of cool sports angle? So those are all targeting strategies and sort of an ability to segment into our network without having to buy at the show level. 
And I would say that's a very strong emerging trend in how we're transacting because it makes a lot of sense for these brands to be able to get the scale they want. But again, like make sure their creative is like they're clear about how they should position their creative based on the content. Right. Yeah. And is the bundling done kind of like on the, you know, human level or is that something that you're looking to integrate like AI into or like other kind of like tech offerings that exist in this vast digital advertising world? I'd say both. You would be surprised how many advertisers and clients have someone working within their halls that's like, Podcast Joe. You know, I was actually, this is a true story. I was recently at Whole Foods Mm -hmm. in Austin and in a room full of, I don't know, like 100 people. And I met this guy in the room and they're like, oh, he's like our podcast expert. Like he knows everything about every show. And anytime we're looking at podcasting, he's thinking about where can we be? And I'd say that's more common that there is someone that has ideas on how they'd want to bundle. Mm -hmm. So that's human. It's either us or them saying, wouldn't this be cool? Now, I talked about, um, you know, the ability to take AI and leverage all of this data that we have from the transcripts of every single show. And you absolutely can see a world where much like you buy key search terms, um, there should be an opportunity in the future. And of course, like anything, we'll have to figure out how you deploy it, how you manage supply, reach, frequency, but that you could come in and buy against key words in order to insert yourself into not just new content, but back catalog content. So think about a world where I'll just give you a silly example. Let's say you're selling a mattress and it helps with back pain. Imagine how many times in our number one network of podcasts, there's been a host talking about back pain or stretching or anything related to that. You could see where that advertiser might say, hey, can we just come in and buy stretching and back pain and just all of these sort of um, topics that would um, best match up to, you know, the audience we think we're after. Now, we're definitely in the build phase. We're not there yet, but the data exists. It's now just about levering it to feed it into the ad server to then apply some logic to it where you could say, okay, how many avails do we have against back pain? That works really well in search. We're not there yet in podcasting. Right, right. And so I think the inverse of that, right, and especially when you're talking about like programmatic, like the brand safety, um, I guess – I don't really understand how fraud might fit into that, but like brand safety, like, you suitability. know, suitability, yeah. keyword block lists are often utilized. Like when you're looking at that piece of the equation, how is it, has it been a concern for advertisers coming in? Because I'm thinking of like, I listen to a lot of lifestyle and like comedy podcasts. Like I like to very much like unwind and while I appreciate, you know, media business podcasts, I have to take like a, a palate cleanser, like a break. So like I'll listen to a lot of comedy shows and there are times when like there are call outs of, you know, brands or hotels that like, um, you know, did someone wrong or like they just, you know, have a, you know, specific beef with like this I don't know, like CPG brand or something. Um, And they like call it out in the show and it's like a funny thing, but like, you know, God forbid there's an ad for that product or that hotel like later in the episode, right? Like what is the kind of like safeguard attempts to regulating like, you know, a show that's generally like, you know, I don't know, unscripted to some degree? Yeah, I have a lot of feelings about this. Um, First and foremost, At the safety level, so before we get to suitability, um, GARM scores content, and they will tell you on the different scale from really bad, probably, um, 
you know, the type of podcast or the type of content no one should be a part of, all the way up to like Disney, where, you know, everything goes. And so we have a partnership with Arts AI and Barometer with their best-in-class solution to offer our clients the ability to buy against the GARM scores. So not your example, but just coming in and setting a baseline for safety around, I don't want to be around firearm talk, or I don't want to be around extreme profanity. That is available today, and more partners coming online. The ad tech space is really working to solve for this, because again, the data is there, the metadata, the transcription logs, et cetera. Now, where you're getting into is like, you know, what's suitable and not, and how rigid are my rule sets going to be about where my brand shows up? And I really challenge um, advertisers to like not fail forward, but like lean into this, be a little, um, you know, less religious with all your rule sets, because if you want to get to a place where there's 100% safety and your brand was never mentioned in a bad way, you better have a really amazing product. Mm -hmm. You better give incredible customer service, and I can't control that. And I think you'll lose out on you specifically, a place where you go to spend time, to relax, where cognitively your barriers are down, your mind is lit up, there's this like great place for you to receive messages because that's why you went there. And so I think it's a balance. And it's like, Find the way you can be safe. Do a little bit of extra work if you feel like there's just a suitability layer that you need to put in. But don't not take risk. Like, don't not be a part of the conversation. Because if you need to be that rigid and strict about it, you might as well not spend on Instagram, not spend in podcasting, not spend on linear TV. Like, I don't I don't know where you're going to spend. You might as well just print a catalog and go DTC in somebody's mailbox. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's a very valid point. Um, and then the other, like, I guess getting back into more, um, like, keyword block lists, and this is something that I think comes up a lot in, like, um, the news category or, um, like, Black-owned publishers have mentioned that there is still a very rudimentary approach to keyword block lists that preclude them from, you know, like, using the word dope in, to describe something cool, but, you know, obviously it's, like, also slang for pot. So, like, that is a big kind of, like, hit. The word, like, shot, um, you know, in reference to, like, a soccer game coverage um, being blocked because it's also, like, you know, the firearms piece of it. Um, there's, like, a lot of nuance in keyword block lists that I think for a long time in digital publishing has been very rudimentary. How are you, I guess, is it the same degree of kind of like rudimentary block lists or is there more nuance, more context in how I guess that like brand safety piece comes into play? Because like you could have a very long transcript from a from a podcast and, you know, it's yeah. personalities. So there's I, I think like some leeway, I'm sure, for like common vernacular. But how does that kind of play into the mix? Well, look, it's a challenge. And it's a tough challenge, I think, for advertisers and their agency partners to stay on top of their block list, even when they have one, to add words and remove words. And you have to move at the pace of culture. You know, I always say podcasting is the narration of culture. It moves faster than anything. I mean, the minute we were, um, you know, in crisis in the Middle East, there were 15 podcasts stood up, published within 24 hours. Um, and so if you're sitting in an agency or a client having to consistently update a spreadsheet, 
essentially, and being pushing it to your partners, where then your partners use their technology, and ours is to you know lever leverage our transcription targeting. Or again, going back to our partnership with Barometer, they have really solid logic for how many times something like the word "shot" would be mentioned in a show, and what was it in the context of sports or in the context of news coverage, and you can use your GARM scoring and your topic scoring um, to kind of manage that. But all that being said. I do believe that'll fall into the future of how AI and probably the programmatic transaction type will fuel growth for advertisers that want that to be done dynamically um, because I don't see a manual solution as the solution. And that's where we're at right now in terms of how people are managing their lists. Yeah. And that's, a, I think, a, a good point. It's like still... Like there's so much scale, especially when you're talking about like a giant like podcast network or, you know, digital media like at large. Like it's there's so much scale. Programmatic is meant to be transacting on scale. So it's hard for like one buyer to, you know, control a budget for a client and personally go through all of those lists for sure. Yeah. And look, for some of those buyers, and we've had these conversations back to your original question, we're working so far upstream at the strategy layer with many of these brands that oftentimes we'll recommend um, a custom program, you know, do a sponsored segment with a host that you think really aligns to you. Yeah, you're not going to get the same reach unless you're picking a host that has really wide distribution. Um, but the power of, honestly, our podcasting hosts, our live hosts on air over at Sirius, as well as sort of what we can do on Pandora and SoundCloud in the streaming environment, is that when an advertiser does come to us, and this is sort of off topic from podcasting, we can find them the right way to integrate in the audio space that meets their needs. And it's okay if they're not at a place yet where the world of podcasting at scale is right for them. There's still so much else to buy, to integrate into, to be a part of if you want to reach you know, 25 to 50-year-old women in podcasting or even 25 to 34, like partner with Tinks, partner with, you know, Radio Andy, partner with Nicole Byers. There's so much great content that you can kind of just, maybe you can do a wait and see if it's just too much. Right. And I think that was one of the things I had um, jotted down as a question to ask before our conversation, because at the press event, um, there was like, you know, Tell everyone about the press event. Nobody yes. knows. I will say the press event. I show up to this event. I am So as background, SiriusXM announced their next generation platform. And this is the future of everything that the listener will experience from personalization to you know how you're going to find content, the quality of the listening experience. It's a streaming first approach. It is our new app that will come out in December. And ultimately, we messaged that um, this new platform will power the future of Pandora. It'll power the future of Incar. And we had a bunch of hosts there. So I thought I'd give background yes. so everyone no, knows what happened. Yes, that was great. It's better than I can definitely rehash <laughs> everything that happened. But I'm like sitting in the audience, like, you know, watching, you know, all the announcements of the new app, the new streaming, like all this stuff. And all of a sudden, like, Conan comes on stage. Um, Howard Stern's there, and then like Kevin Hart comes on. Um, who else? Oh, Kelly and then, Clarkson. Of course, well, Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, like she performed two songs. It was life changing. Um, she sang. Um, 
uh, not Breakaway, but the other like major hit from the but early. But what 2000s. was it like to see these people in person? Because that always blows me away. Like a lot of you know, look, your listeners, I'm sure, was like, oh, you see celebrities all the time. When you see like Howard next to Conan, next to Kevin, next to Kelly, next to um, who else was out there? Marin, Ashley Flowers, yeah, Marin Morris, Marin as Morris. Well. Um, it was. A little bit of like a whirlwind. It was a, this was like a Wednesday morning. Yeah, it's I felt, like the Audio Breakfast Club. Yeah, like it, they're I all felt so different. Very overwhelmed in the best way. But then like Kelly Clarkson singing, gen like really genuinely healed like my inner child because I was obsessed with her. I had her CD. I would listen to it all the time. It's like her and like Michelle Branch. But okay, you've um, got to go watch then her episode from this week where she has Ashley Flowers on. Yes, talking about audio. It's like your inner child with your work adult. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'll have to I'll have to That'll do that. That'll be a good good episode for you. Exactly. Um but at that event it was very much focused on like pulling in more younger audiences like Gen Z, millennials, um understanding like you know, Sirius XM, the way I've interacted with it is like it's in my parents' minivan. Like that's where I would listen to it on car rides and we would do a lot of them. So like you know, I definitely like experienced Sirius XM. Um, my dad, I know, listens to Pandora like it's going out of style. Like he loves Pandora. But the younger audience, I think like that app streaming, the focus towards that definitely checks out with like yeah. wanting to reach that next generation of listener. Um, also, like podcast audience tend to be younger, right? Like that's like a generally younger demographic, at least that's what the reports I read say. But I'm curious how the kind of advertiser appetite for what that like 18 to 34 year old demographic, which is like hotspot, hotspot, the Mm -hmm. place to be, like how you're kind of like fielding those requests from advertisers and how that kind of flows into the overall expansion of like reaching that younger demographic. Yeah. Well, and it's it like, you know, it starts from a place of we want to grow, right? We want to grow. We want to reach every person that wants to listen to audio in the United States and Canada. And so a lot of the insight work we were doing was around how do we grow and how do we delight audiences that maybe we're not seeing, you know, enough time spent per day. I mean, the average American listens to four hours four hours of audio a day. So huge opportunity. Um, and so Pandora always attracted a younger audience and still is a very strong platform for our younger audiences. And the insights that came forth in a lot of the work is the younger audiences go deep on what they love. And so whether it's sports, whether it's Kelly Clarkson in your example, whether it's EDM, like they want – whether it's a specific influencer that has a podcast, they want to be like – all up in it. I'm like using my hands to show like they want to go deep. I mean, Taylor Swift, can we talk about how deep that fandom goes into that rabbit hole? Oh, yeah. And so theories out the wazoo for that one. I can't get enough of it. I literally can't get enough of everyone now knowing who Travis Kelsey is. Um, So when we when all of that work is coming together, it was like, okay, it is really now the time. And, And oh, you asked about the advertiser. Advertisers, it's their sweet spot. I mean, it's where they drive early brand adoption. There's so much purchase intent and consumption power there that fuels um, just so much, you know, spending. So. Um, that's really where the whole next gen concept came from. And the announcement that you were there for, you know, that you were a part of is just a, a totally different listener experience. Being able to search. So in your world, you might come into the new app and you would search Kelly Clarkson and we would surface for you her Pandora station, her um, 
she has a channel on SiriusXM now, which is what was announced. Music she loves. Maybe she curates her own um, station for you to listen to that's like, you know, stuff she likes. And she's narrating it. We do this now where it's like, okay, when I was coming up in country, like, or when I was coming up, you know, on um, as a young girl, like, these were the songs I loved and here's why I loved it. And then we would also surface her podcast if she has one or podcast she's been on. So it's a real shift from the old sort of onboarding experience that was probably your dad's experience, which was like, come in and we would highlight like Howard and an NFL game and, you know, highway radio to like, who are you? Tell us who you are and we're going to personalize your experience. And so in many ways, what I'm so excited about is it's like if Pandora and SiriusXM had a baby, (laughs) it's this next gen strategy, which is AI fueled, all about personalization. We're going to give you what you want mixed with the most premium live content. We have more sports. You'd have to have five streaming subscriptions to have just as much sports as we offer on SiriusXM. You know, these deep relationships with artists, there's not an artist that doesn't come through our hallways that wants to do something special. I mean, we're here in this gorgeous studio. This is one of probably 50 studios we have in New York City if you add them all up. So it's just a really, really exciting time. And I can't wait to get this app out and then to spend next year not just delighting listeners but bringing new ad formats to our advertisers. Right. Well, I also feel like being able to use AI to create like a very custom like, you know, pathway of listening, right? Like different shows, different songs, different like, you know, host hosted programs that feels like it's already kind of like playing into that contextual alignment, that like ability to target like an I feel like you can learn a lot about someone based on like even like the song lyrics that oh they're listening God, maybe to. Maybe too much. Uh, probably. Like if you were to look oh, back at I, all of my like recent plays, yeah. you'd be like, oh my God, she's going through something. But no, we I just really to, love used... Noah Khan. Like, so funny you say that. We used to joke. We'd play this game with advertisers where we'd come into a room and we'd get someone's login ahead of time. And then we'd play like the guess who game. <laughs> And it was always so great. You could tell who was going through a breakup, like who works out in the morning, who has kids and does drop off. Yes. So absolutely, like day in the life, we will be able to see and deeply understand with this replatforming that will be such a stronger back end in order to surface more personalization across all of our content. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah. 2024 is going to be amazing. Right. And so that brings me to my last question for you, because this has flown by, but it's been so fascinating. Um, The last question is, and I've been kind of asking all kind of ad adjacent people this question about 2024 and like the hope or optimism around ad revenue. But I think like based on some of the topics that we've talked about and like kind of the appetite for audio in general, it sounds like 2024 is looking like a good year. But I'm curious, like, Going into next year, is the sales process already off to a good start? Are you feeling like optimistic about, you know, growing revenue next year? And with this new like, you know, added yeah. product, I'm sure there's even more opportunity. But like, what's the kind of like overall outlook for 2024? I'd say it's a tale of two cities. So, in terms of conversations we're having with advertisers, when they have money. They absolutely value what we're doing. They see the power of audio. They see the power of digital advertising overall. They're very um, enthusiastic about it, delivering to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Now, I said when they have money, you can't even talk about the marketplace as a marketplace anymore. It is a vertical marketplace, and you have to go vertical by vertical. Mm -hmm. We know what happened with the car industry and everything they were dealing with to recover from supply chain. If you don't have a car— 
built, you don't have a car to sell. Mm -hmm. And then they were having a labor dispute for a series of time, although that's mostly, you know, been handled and they had enough inventory on hand to work through it. The entertainment industry goes on strike. You're not going to market something. I mean, they didn't make movies all summer. Yeah. Right? Um, CPG is having, um, you know, cost of goods challenges in and around inflation. So, you know, fintech, interest rates are high, not as many originated loans. So you just have to go vertical by vertical. And I'd say that as the industries recover, as the country recovers, or as we're you know, challenged with new economic dynamics, global dynamics, it's always going to be in flux. But when the money is there, I do feel strongly that the conversations we're having are that we are a must-buy and that we absolutely offer a uh, solution set that delivers for them. So I think that's the best spot you can expect to be in. Yeah, especially with the entertainment industry. Like, I feel like streaming platforms are still kind of spending to promote what they have in the hopper. But I'm wondering how, like, spring, summer next year, even, like, Yeah, I I mean, you know, here's what I'd say about that. And I have, um, you know, some deep knowledge that's probably not for public consumption around what each studio is doing. But they're makers. They will make. It might be a little more reality than you want to see. It might be um, game shows that you're not interested in. No, I'm kidding because I love a game show. But the feature films, um, the work that uh, they can't produce as quickly, it kind of goes back to your earlier podcast question. You might just see a different offering in terms of the entertainment, um, you know, the, the content, I should say, that you can watch. And they will get behind it to still drive their subscriptions and drive people into theaters to the best they can. Um, so we'll just hope that... Um, what they can put out in Q1 and probably maybe the first part of Q2 um, is still exciting for us all to want to go watch and see. But I think you'll see a bit of a a lag in some of the, you know, bigger production type projects. Yeah. I feel like it's time for me to get into like the Real Housewives franchise or something because I feel like that I'm, will yeah that will fulfill my desire for new content if I could just go into the backlog and or lean in. you're going to watch podcasts on YouTube. And we didn't even touch on that. But, like, yes, video podcasts, like, that's the— That's a huge—we can end there because that'll be my—I'll do my predictions for you. How about that? Love that. Of the, like, three things I think next year we're going to see the biggest growth is monetization of video podcasts and how we're going to either bake ads into them, introduce new video products, um, you know, just new and different ways of reaching the same— um, maybe the same listener in a different format, or maybe totally incremental reach. Yeah. So we're spending a lot of time there. I think programmatic is going to continue to grow, and we'll continue to invest in all of the solutions that'll get it to parity with digital streaming. And then the last one I'd say is, and we didn't talk about this too much. We could come back in the you know after CES, um, but I think AI and generative AI for um, creative production and to really improve the time spent for creative production. Um, We'll see voice cloning definitely be a place we can play. Mm -hmm. Back to your question about getting creative approvals, giving spec spots to advertisers to get them more comfortable. Um, Small business advertisers that don't need a host. And so you're just, you know, building um, effortlessly, building creative really fast. 
so I think there's going to be a lot of testing and learning there. And in fact, I'm aligned with Spotify in this because I was listening to their episode that Tim did. And Lee said the same thing. He's like, there's going to be a whole bunch of testing here to try to shore up the gap from point of purchase to live campaign. Um, I just don't think we'll ever be putting fake Conan on the air. That was my that That's was my never last happening. question. Yeah, like or, or voice cloning of Conan. I feel like he would be um No, but when Conan's on vacation and we can have his cloned voice, you know, record a bunch of spots to get them approved. So when he comes back from vacation, he's ready to rock. You can obviously see how that is a big um, lift to production cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for having thank me. Thank you is so, so fun. Well, thank you for having me. This is great. I feel so professional in this room. We'll host you anytime. And I think you have to sign this table. I will. Because I think for every- the listeners, there is a bunch of really cool signatures on this desk in this um, podcast studio. And I'm, I will do that. Yeah, you got to leave your mark, girl. We got to graffiti this thing up. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday Podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. We'll be back next week with another episode. Mm-hmm.